On CGRU 1280 AM, you're listening to Built to Play. I'm Ramonic Bali. And I'm Daniel Rosen. This week, we're doing something different. Uh, as part of last month's CJRU fundraising drive, we agreed to rank video games sent in by listeners on a massive list of every video game of all time. This means, statistically, we will one day find the most middlest game of all time. But before we do all that, let's talk about what this list is. This is our new segment, episode style thing called... Video Game Battle Royale! You guys all love those battle royales where 100 games enter and only one leave. Well, this is uh, every game enters and they all stay ranked from best to worst uh, in that order. Yes. Exactly. And before we can actually rank games, we decided we needed to have a best game and a worst game to pit them against. Now, that's not to say that these games can't be, you know, we can't find a better game or a worst game. But they're the games that we felt were the most unequivocally, everyone agrees, one of the best, one of the worst to kind of anchor the list. And, and um, let's let's start with a game at the top of our list, shall we? Yeah, so the, the first one that we have is 1994's Super Metroid, developed by Nintendo R&D uh, Studio One and Intelligent Systems. Which I think, again, is unequivoc- unequivocally one of the best games ever made. Yeah, I mean, like, it's one of those games where it's like, you could... You can add things to it, you can take things away, but it's still kind of like... It's kind of this perfect as-is. It's like you don't... There's... It's very hard to know how you could improve Super Metroid. Yeah, it's it's essentially a perfect video game, right? Like, let, let's I think something we should probably do and get into the habit now is explain yeah. what these games are for people who may not have played them or, or heard yes. of them. It's hard to imagine with Super Metroid, but still. Uh, Super Metroid is what is in the Metroidvania genre, which is really a genre pioneered. It's essentially an action-adventure game. You play as Samus Aran, a space bounty hunter with a gun for an arm, who goes to an alien planet to eliminate a species called the Metroids. Yes. Um, in Super Metroid, the idea is that you have this huge world to explore, but it is gated off with abil- by abilities you have to get. If you don't have the ability, it's like you'll you might be able to see the path, but you won't be able to actually access it or go through it or find the way to jump or. Yeah. For example, the wall. one of the first things the one of the first things the game puts in front of you is a tunnel that you cannot get through because your character is too tall for it. So you'll turn around and you'll eventually find the morph ball, which will let you shrink down and roll through that tunnel. Right. You'll find plenty of instances like that through the game. And you can actually sequence break those instances, which is to say, do them out of order without collecting the right power up by utilizing Samus's tools in a different way. And and I think that's what makes the game so cool is that it, it really kind of lets you play it however you want and really trusts you. There's no tutorial. There's no the game never stops at all to tell you anything. In fact, there's barely any text in the game at all. It teaches you everything through just doing and existing. Um, really one of the only times it doesn't do it, the only time that stands out and is difficult is it never teaches you that I think hyperbombs break glass. And so if you, for that time you need to get into Meridia, maybe you take, it takes you a while to figure that out. But that's the only complaint I've ever seen levied against this game. It is a very smooth experience. And it's also like, I mean, just graphically, it's pretty. Like it's yeah, just it's like, gorgeous. especially for the era, like it's, it's got a very interesting art design. It kind of, Samus animates really well um, as you're playing through it. Like, there's just a, I don't know, is it, it's both well designed and polished. Yeah, it's all of the ideas in it are so well executed that for years games tried to copy it, right? Yeah. Like, the, an entire genre was spawned from games trying to copy Super Metroid. The original Metroid doesn't go do any of this as well as, as Super Metroid does. It lays the foundations, and then Super Metroid comes around and just nails it in one, right? 
and something that's interesting is that you'll see like later Metroid games. Metroid Prime is Super Metroid, but in 3D. Like it's right. basically the same game. Castlevania Symphony Night is a straight rip of Super Metroid with some RPG mechanics. And every Castlevania game afterwards is very, very similar down to copying the way the map looks. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it, it's unbelievably influential, but then also just like, the core moment-to-moment gameplay is really fun. Shooting feels good. Exploring feels good. It tells you where things are. The map is good. It doesn't give away too much. It's one of those things where it's like, people forget, but there's a lot of games in this era where the mechanics might have been varied. You'd have like a lot of different things you could do, but it was a total mess. Like, mm-hmm. it's just you'd, oh, this nonsense thing helps me in this nonsense area. It was like one-time use mechanics. Like, all these things, but don't, were dead ends. And Super Metroid is the first one of the few times, especially of this era, where those mechanic sets both felt cohesive and understandable, where it wasn't like you were dealing with... You, there were never too many abilities that you lost track of everything you, you could do, but also um, not, there was nothing that you were just going to totally throw away after the one time you use it. There was always... It was, there was a reason that you had this toolbox. Exactly. And, and again, all those tools can be used in ways that maybe the developers did intend or didn't intend, but to break the game in different ways. Um, and there's even hidden tools that you have from the very beginning of the game that you don't know you have, like the way they teach you how to dash, which is one of the best like little tutorializing moments in video games, or the fact that you can wall jump and the game never actually tells you that unless you look really carefully. The There's a trust, I think, that this game has in its players that video games have not really had since, in my opinion, or very few video games have had since. I mean, you, you, we've seen a couple like attempts to recapture Super Metroid, but even them, then, they, there's like... the um... For instance, Axiom Verge. Axiom Verge is a hard game, partially because of the um, the sheer number of items that you come across in that game, and also mm-hmm. th- there the game is difficult. But one of the things that's uh, fascinating is that it, it holds your hand both a little more, but also it doesn't have that. It needs to because it doesn't have um, the cleanness that yeah. Super Metroid does. Super Metroid, you, as I said, like you can kind of keep what the toolbox is in your head, um, especially given like. It's a long game for the era, but it's not like it's not RPG length. No. But it is like it's you could get it through it in a couple bite-sized chunks. It's about a twenty-hour game, really, all told, unless you're trying to hundred percent it. Yeah, I don't really know how much that would. I probably only thirty hours at that point. But the again, the the thing that stands out about it, like you keep coming back to, is that it's it's cleanly designed. Yeah. everything is there for a reason. Everything is straightforward. The skills you start with, not even just like the the skills you have as a player, not even the character. The skills you start with as a player are tested, like well throughout the game and improved well and really tell this interesting wordless story about a character and a world that is really special right like you just yeah. don't get games designed that tightly um not in the era and and certainly again games still are trying to recapture that kind of magic um like I'll, uh, it's, for someone who has never encountered the game i might like compare it to say um aliens where mm. aliens is like a really clean conceit um it's but it's like you got it's super visually interesting um there's a lot more action going on than than you might expect but also like you have the you have um it's an expansion of the original premise it takes what was in metroid and makes it much more much more action oriented and much more kind of also adds like an element of more puzzles to Mm. to the roster it's um I really, I, I remember encountering it for the first time. I didn't like, I, I didn't grow up with a Super Nintendo, but I went to a friend's house and like Super Metroid was always this game that we kind of like pick at slowly. And it was, I don't know, you felt like a kind of like a genius kind of walking your way through it. It was one of those games where you, if you got through an area, and, oh yeah, this thing goes here. It was like, 
it was a really rewarding experience. I, I think Super Metroid is one of those games that every time you come back to it, you find something new to you. It's not new to everybody, right? But you find something new. You notice something new. Maybe it's the atmosphere and how the world looks. Maybe it's maybe it's a you know just a room you'd never found before. There is always something more to that game that. I just think is is really something incredible, right? Like yeah. games still strive to do that to you, to give you that sense of wonder. And I, I really think that Super Metroid is probably the game that inspires that the most. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that kind of gives us a good idea of what Super Metroid is for why and why it's kind of it's like number one. Uh, is number one yeah. here. So what's the total garbage that we're putting at the other end of the scale? Right. So at the other end of the list, we have the worst game we could think of, Shadow the Hedgehog, developed by Sega Studios USA in 2005. And so Shadow the Hedgehog is this amazing, like, total failure. Like, in a, in a way that, like, and when I say total, I mean total. The, the graphics are bad. The gameplay is bad. The, the, the idea set- is bad. The plot is, is bad. bad. The setting is bad. The music is bad. There is nothing redeemable about this game. There's no, there's not even, like, there's, like, you, some people might go, oh, look, it's, like, there's like a, a kitsch or a sh- like it's it's late night 2000 chic where like look at this like kind of this game that thought it was so dark. It's not even entertainingly edgy. No. So to do what Shadow the Hedgehog is, Shadow the Hedgehog is a spinoff from the Sonic the Hedgehog series starring yeah. Shadow, who is sort of an anti-hero, uh, an e- uh, a character who started as evil but is good sometimes. Yeah. He's a hedgehog with black fur instead of blue fur. You can think of him like the Wolverine to like Sonic Cyclops. Yeah, and in this game Shadow the Hedgehog is finds out that he's in fact the descendant of an alien creature named the Black Doom <laughs> who has come to Earth with his army to try to conquer it. And he's trying to recruit Shadow while Shadow's also be, trying to be recruited by his friends to help stop this. And also an army from the United Nations called Gun is trying to <laughs> kill both Shadow and the and Black Doom's aliens. Um, also, Shadow can pick up their guns. So, one, um, this game is one of the – this game is unique because um, it has – one, it has, it's a Sonic game with gunplay. Yes. Two, it is – that gunplay is awful. Like, that, it's uh, borderline unplayable. It's also just glitchy. Yeah. Like, if you can take the bad gameplay, which is, like, this mismatch, this mishmash of, like, light speed elements from yeah, other Sonic games. Yeah, like, platforming. Game. It's, it's built on the same engine, I think, as Sonic Heroes, which yes. is not a good thing. I mean, Sonic Heroes had, like, if, it, if you didn't have to repeat every level three times. It's still pretty bad. It's still... It had some. I, it was at least trying to figure out how to move things forward. Sure. Shadow of a Hedgehog is like, what if we took the worst elements from right, Son- thing, Sonic right? Heroes, an already mediocre game, yeah, and then made that the focus of this one? Shadow of the Hedgehog is a game that ro- plays on an engine designed for very fast, imprecise platforming, yeah. and then asks you to stand and shoot things. Yeah, yeah. And then not only that, like, just has like things where. Say you have to, like, say one objective is, like, kill uh, a bunch of aliens for some reason on yeah. this level. Sometimes these don't spawn in. Sometimes, no, sometimes, absolutely not. Sometimes you end up with bad guys who just glitch into objects and get stuck. One of the funniest things about Shadow of the Hedgehog. So Shadow of the Hedgehog features a moral choice system because Shadow of <laughs> the Hedgehog has, like, a couple dozen endings. And, yeah. and there's a big air quotes around endings. Yeah. But Shadow of the Hedgehog... Um, asks you in every mission, you can fulfill one of three, or every level rather, you can fulfill one of three missions. You can side with Black Doom and, and his like allies or the or whatever the villain is of this current storyline, 
the heroes, Sonic and his animal friends, or a neutral objective, which is usually getting a Chaos Emerald. And after doing, every time you do one of these choices, it'll bring you, so for example, you start with level one. Level one has three, there are three possible level twos because of that. And right. thus there are, for each one again, three possible goes until you get to the last one where there's only a good or an evil. With that in mind, so, so, sometimes Black Doom is like, kill 800 soldiers. <laughs> and sometimes Sonic's like, kill 800 aliens. And you can just do both. Because they both want to kill you at all times. Yeah. It never feels like there's any reason to be doing your moral choice because they're all always hostile at you. There's no... And there's also, like... It's not like the game has precise mechanics. Like, no. it's not like... Even if you wanted to and you wanted to work really hard towards getting towards Beast Gold, you're probably going to kill a bunch of them anyway just because of the way Shadow shoots and attacks things. It is... Oh, and then... Like, and assuming you can get, like, look, the, the gameplay is bad and the, the the game design is bad, but let's say you, you're one of those people who want to try and give it a shot. The audio and visual design is so repulsive. It's just awful. It's, yeah. The game is this unbelievable, like, gray and brown mess from the era before we even started that. Mm. It's muddy. The models are disgusting looking. Yeah. <laughs> All the guns look bizarre. There's no color or light to this, like, world that they created. Everything's always sort of destroyed and on fire. Yeah. It's like they, they and they, it, it, it's like the most half finished, um, like, rubble that you'll ever see in a video yep. game like i've never looked at like oh this is supposed to be a destroyed object and it's like well it kind of just looks like a square that's been cut at a weird angle um and then of course the music is awful <laughs> the game kind of really revolves around these seven or eight vocal tracks they wrote that are just unbelievably bad yeah you've got uh, all hail shadow which actually made a return appearance in sonic 06 you've got oh my what's the name of the main song um Boy, I wish I could remember the name of the main song. It's it's something else. Oh, you're pulling it up? I am going to pull it up right now because I think it's worthy of of note. Hold on. Which one is this? This is All Hail Shadow. Oh, boy. The Shadow of a Hedgehog theme plays the opening cinematic. (laughs) Oh, this is the most edgy. Your reward for getting each of the endings was a different song. They all sort of sounded like this. It's also like, I think... There's a weird, just looking at the visuals right now, there's a weird, like, fire element. There's just, like, biz, like this bizarre red hue in the background of everything. Yep. That just muddies everything. Like, it yep. just makes it really hard to see it's... Um, what's going on in the visual shot. Um, and then, of course, when the game actually starts, it's just muddy and disgusting. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, just looking at a scene where it's, like, in a desert motif. I don't exactly know what the plot of this game and where it goes, but, um, yeah, this song isn't helping any turn off. No. Um, the, the thing with Shadow of the Hedgehog is that it is, there are a lot of bad video games. Yeah. There are a lot of games with bad music. There's a lot of games with bad level design. There's a lot of games with bad mechanics. There's a lot of games with bad concepts. There's a lot of games with bad writing. 
very few games have all of them yeah. at the same time, and even fewer games manage to do it in such a way that effectively destroys a franchise. And I, and I think like what one thing that's important here is um, this: why Sonic 06 is not in this spot, for example. Mm-hmm. And we'll, we'll, when someone gives us Sonic 06, you can submit ideas. Hopefully, yeah. um, I don't think it's going to be worse in this game. It's not worse in this game because Sonic 06 is too funny. Like Sonic yeah. 06 is a broken, broken, unfinished game. And there's like the goal though was to make a Sonic game, yeah. and they failed at that, which is fine. Like you, That's you the thing, screwed right? up, and and the big thing about it is that it's unfinished, right? Yeah. We'll never know what happened if Sonic if Sonic Six got another year in the tank. Shadow the Hedgehog is a completed game. <laughs> they took their time and they were like polished it and were happy with this result. They wanted someone to play this video game, unlike Sonic Six, which was I, I guess just like hastily stolen from a mother's hand in the middle of uh, in the middle of its rearing. Like there's nothing in. Uh, there's no, there's nothing redeeming here. Unlike what you like, there's no potential. <laughs> no, there's absolutely no potential. There's nothing it could have been. And again, no other game really has destroyed a franchise as heavily. <laughs> Sonic 06 was the killing blow, but Shadow the Hedgehog teed the, teed everything up. You know, yeah. Shadow of the Hedgehog comes after Sonic Heroes, which is a bad game. Yeah. But Shadow of the Hedgehog says, "Well, this is what Sonic is now." And basically, like, I don't think that that one, two, three punch of Heroes, Shadow, and 06, like, Sonic has never <laughs> recovered from that. But Shadow, I think, is perhaps the most egregious one. Shadow the Hedgehog is why there's the, um, uh, the, the idea of, like, having false hope for a Sonic game. Yeah. Up until that point, it was like, you know, there were people who fought for Adventure and Adventure 2. Those people were wrong, but mm-hmm. they, 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 they had their supporters. No one can defend Shadow the Hedgehog. No one can defend Shadow the Hedgehog. And that is why it's taking the bottom spot on our list for the video game battle royale. But now let's start actually ranking video games that we haven't made any decisions about. For the first on the master list submitted by listener Holly Babaran is 2004's World of Warcraft developed by Blizzard Entertainment. So, um okay. I think this is already going to get into an issue. Um I haven't played I've I've played World of Warcraft w- way back in mm-hmm. when it came out. Played that for for a pretty long time. Yep. Gave that a couple shots. Even played it on a private server because I was cheap. And but that game is really different now. Yes. Um. It is a different game, but it is not a fundamentally different game. Right. I think the experience of playing World of Warcraft at a high level is very different. Obviously, if you're going for rating and stuff. But I think the day to day, aside from like the, the obviously some mechanics have changed, but the game is different in a better way, right? Like right. I don't think it's worse than it was in 2004. Because you and I right. were playing it, like, what, 2005, 2006, 2007. Yeah. I have gone back to try it. Um, it is not fundamentally different. The thing I take away from it is not that different. Okay. So you, I, you did what we what we hope to do with a lot of these games, which is if we haven't tried it in the last five years or so, return we're, we're, we're yeah. going to return it and, and give it another and I, shot. And I think, like, let, well, just to talk about generally, right, I don't want to get too deep into the mechanical weeds of World of Warcraft because, again, the game I played, the first 20 levels, and I didn't even do all those, yeah. is not the game you play if you actually play World of Warcraft. That's right. the thing, right? If you're really playing World of Warcraft, you're probably part of a raiding guild of some sort, yeah. right? You And I have friends who do that, and it's a, you know, they like it, but it's sometimes a torturous experience. Yeah. But World of Warcraft is still sort of the same social experience that it was. Right. 
when it came out. And I think that's sort of its value as a video game. So before we get into all that, let's let's talk about what World of Warcraft is, yes. which is it is probably the most successful massively multiplayer online role-playing game. There were games, role-playing games before this. We can talk, we'll talk about EverQuest, EverQuest 2. Um, we can talk about... Um, Come on, muds. Yeah, we, we can there talk are about Star Star Trek Online. We can talk about Star Wars Galaxies. There's a ton of other MMOs. This is the first one that made made like it is the first one where you can look at it. And it's like both it is fun. Like I think it's definitive, mm-hmm. um, but also it had the best feeling world, and yes. it was like the best. I when it first came out, there was nothing else quite like it. You could play. Even when Guild Wars came out, even when all these are, Guild Wars was way more of a of a Diablo game than mm-hmm. than World of Warcraft was, and when Sea of Heroes and Villains, also good games that we should hopefully rank, rank one day, someday, yeah, different game, and in some ways a more flawed game. Um, the World of Warcraft was basically you could pick all of these characters that were set up from the you know races of Warcraft, Warcraft one, two, and three, yeah, and then they were divided into two factions. And you could pick a bunch of classes, things you could do, like based on those, um, like paladin, warrior, like generic fantasy jobs. Yeah, exactly. And then hopefully over through the levels, you complete quests. And by the end, you're you if you manage to stick around to, I think it was like the initial ending level was level forty. Yeah. So you get to level forty, then you joined a guild. You could do these massive bosses, which are like they require a whole like they a raiding crew, which could, uh, if I remember, like as big as like 10, 20 people. Like there, there were significant amounts of people. There were massive parties, and they gave you this like immersive idea of being a bunch of adventurers fighting against this huge boss, right? These vanilla raids were like fighting Ragnaros was like such a huge deal for a lot of people because yeah. it's this enormous monster and you're all working together and you have to work together as a unit you have to have a raid leader calling the shots you have and and that stuff was unmatched in video games at the time yeah like nothing else could do it the way that wow did it was not there was nothing on the same scale nothing with the same level of presentation and also wow had like a lot of interesting um comfort of life uh, uh, quality of life changes yeah quality of life changes that uh, EverQuest just didn't have what EverQuest, which is a, a, the game that uh, like is kind of like I, you could say is the grandpappy of the modern yeah. uh, MMO, is like if you want to play EverQuest, you better always play EverQuest because mm-hmm. otherwise there's no there's no hope of catching up with with yeah. anyone. World of Warcraft is one of the first games that said, you know what, our players are going to take a break and we're going to reward them for actually not being here constantly. Right, and that was when they they instituted rest mechanics. It was when they they started to make the the dailies more interesting, like yeah. Way, you, ways to make you come back that mattered, but didn't completely destroy anyone who couldn't play every single day. Yeah, and, and I think another big thing about WoW that is, I don't, I don't want to say like overlooked, right? But something that's really important about WoW that no other game really did was give players this sense of community. Yes. Right? In EverQuest, you're all just adventurers in a world, and there's a plot, right? But you're all against the same thing. But the whole alliance versus horde thing gave players a cultural identity, right? Yes. You are in, you're a horde player. You are not going to see Stormwind, right? And you're an alliance player. You're not going to see Ogrimmar, right? Like, there these things that really matter and really gave players, like, I'm alliance or I'm horde. Those are, like, lines drawn in the sand that... They mattered a little bit less as the expansions went on, but I definitely think that for the vanilla game, 
mattered a lot. Well, I mean, even with the most recent expansion, which is trying to recapture that, that element of like Horde versus Alliance, because it was such an integral part of the initial setup of the game and is one of the things that to this day players are nostalgic for. Yeah. Um, it also, like, community, I think, is like so important to discuss here because WoW was one of the first games where people were studying it for how what how people responded in, in reaction to a plague. There was a famous incident where there was a glitch or rather a, a, a disease um, mm-hmm. could be spread to NPCs and that led to like a mass plague that got yeah. sent out, partly because of pranksters, partly because of um, the way the game was designed. And people could legitimately study how people responded in WoW because the community groups were realistic enough and were representative enough of how humans actually behave um, that it made for like, oh, okay, so this is like a miniature, like a response to plague in miniature. And of course it wasn't like 100% realistic, Mm -hmm. but it was, there was enough there that you could say like, yes, this is a real community. These are real people who are gathering together and responding in a way that that people might in real life. Yeah. It's it's just this incredible world. And I think that... I, I will say that I think if we're counting, are we counting? Actually, is World of Warcraft just vanilla World of Warcraft, or is it the World of Warcraft experience, including you know uh, everything up to Battle for Azeroth? I I have only played up to um, uh, oh Jesus Christ, what's the what's the one they added um, instance uh, quests? Oh, I don't even know which the it would have been instance events rather. Um, there's Burning Crusade, then there's Wrath. Then there's... Wrath of the Lich King. Wrath of the Lich King. Okay. That was where That's, I got it. Yeah, I didn't even pl- play Wrath, actually, as far as I remember. Maybe I put a little bit of it. I don't yeah. remember. But, um, yeah, so there's uh, Wrath of the Lich King is... I mean, that was, like, a big thing. I think that's the most popular expansion for yes. a lot of people. Do we want to say just the base game, or do we want to say everything? The WoW experience. Because I do think that the WoW experience is pretty consistent across all the different versions. Definitely there's better or worse content on them. Yeah. But the experience of plugging into play the game is just World of Warcraft now. Like, yeah. All the quality of life stuff that has changed up to Basil of Azeroth is still in the vanilla zone. It's still in the vanilla experience, even if the vanilla zones are very, very untended to. Well, here's my argument that I would make in favor of, of what you're saying, which is basically... If I were to go back to vanilla WoW, I would probably not not enjoy it because mm-hmm. the game has become so. There have been not only well, WoW may have been an innovator in quality of life decisions, but that has only exponentially grown yes. as time goes on. And the base game now is probably better. I would I would guess than what it was back then. Like maybe there's some things that might make it so that original players may not enjoy in the same way. But yeah. it's like I would argue that probably WoW as it is today is a more accessible game. For a lot of different reasons, part of which is they want, they've been made these decisions over years and years to try and grow their audience, especially as they became the largest MMO in the world. Um, they've been trying to get more and more people in, and that includes things like what is it? The first like sixty the levels. First are 20, free. The first twenty levels are free. Every you buy as soon as you buy the game, you get every expansion except for Battle for Azeroth. Yeah, like everything's there. Yeah, you the it is easier to get into WoW now than ever, even though people are leaving on mass allegedly because they're not very happy with Battle for Azeroth. But the people like Cataclysm was allegedly fantastic. I'll, I'll yeah. say that. Like I, I don't play the game, but I have several friends who do. I, I think that WoW is a, like you're right. Like the WoW is a holistic experience. Yeah. It's like World of Warcraft, whatever expansion you're playing. If somebody really wants us to ra- like, I don't even know how we would rank yeah. just 
<laughs> vanilla unless when WoW Classic comes out. I feel yeah. like when WoW Classic comes out, maybe we can just rank WoW Classic. But I feel like WoW Classic would be then its own game. Like I yes, wouldn't even it's its own game. It wouldn't mm-hmm. be World of Warcraft. It's like yeah. WoW or WoW Classic. But like yeah. we can't go back and and rank Wrath. You know, yeah. like it's just impossible. We can't play it today. It's like it's like looking in a <laughs> in some ways it's like looking at a river and seeing like is are we judging the river today or as it was three days ago? Like yeah. it's the it's different, but it's still the, the same, same river. river. Yeah. yeah. Um. I, I think also something that's really important about World of Warcraft is that it's it's legacy, right? Right. Like, World of Warcraft changes MMOs forever, and everybody's trying to be a WoW killer. It creates the idea of a WoW killer. Yes. In a way that games are Doom clones, right? Yes. Like, everything wants to be WoW, and even to this day, to a certain extent, games are still coming out, and MMO is compared to World of Warcraft. And I would say that WoW, even though it took a long time, a lot of the mechanics introduced in WoW slowly filtered into other genres, where now we're looking at games like Destiny, that has a lot of stuff that was first built in in World of Warcraft, including the way uh, quests are structured, including the, the way that it tries to bring you back to the game over and over again. It is... WoW is a hugely important game if you're even if you're just looking at the history of things. Yeah. So, in terms of actual ranking, yep. I don't think, however, given how much of a mess it is, yes. in terms of all the like, WoW may have the prettiest cutscenes for in the era. Like mm-hmm. Blizzard makes some great cutscenes. Yep. It still doesn't quite match the. I would even say like the visual splendor of like Super Metroid, just in its simplicity and it's like. I think that WoW is a game like you can go to old areas that haven't been updated since Cataclysm and they they look bad. You yeah. can go to you can do you can go to a lot of places that don't look great in WoW and and not even that right like there's just mechanics that don't function the way it's supposed to or content that doesn't seem right. Yeah. Like there's so much stuff that just doesn't work about World of Warcraft that pushes you away from it. Right. right? And the fact that the game changes all the time is a benefit and a curse. Yeah. Um, I don't think, however, that it's worse than Shadow of the Hedgehog. Uh, no. <laughs> I think World of Warcraft is still a very good game. But that's going to put World of Warcraft at number two on yeah. our list of video game battle royale in between Super Metroid and Shadow of the Hedgehog. Yeah, okay. So let's just write that in. Um, Super Metroid. Wow. Shadow. Shadow. Okay. And moving on to our next game is if World of Warcraft is one of the biggest games that we'll ever rank, this is probably one of the smaller ones. Yeah. So it's the the uncle who works at for Nintendo. It's by Michael Lutz, released in 2014. Uh, we actually talked to Lutz on the show back way back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, this was submitted to us by Matt Ishii, who um, I think has hosted the show at least once. Um, but this is a nice text adventure twine game. Yep. Um, Basically, that came out in reaction to Gamergate. Yes. Came out in, rea- in reaction to this era of har- ongoing harassment where it felt like this sense of video game elitism was coming back to haunt us in right. a way. It's, it, it is very much a game about – so, so to, to say what it is, right? It is a text adventure game. It is sort of a horror-themed text adventure game about a kid who goes over to sleep over at their friend's house. And their friend says that their uncle who works at Nintendo is telling them all these great secrets about video games. Right. Um, and as the game kind of expands, you is revealed that this uncle is sort of a, a terrifying kind of eldritch monster-like figure, but that figure in itself is a representation of Gamergate, of the then yeah. and now current political climate. Yeah, yeah. And, like, it's it's very much a game about, like, your uh, your chickens coming home to roost. Like, yeah. these are, here is, because, like, the, the central conceit, the uncle that works in Nintendo, is, like, if, if you weren't, a kid in when when Nintendo consoles were I guess they're still massive but when it was like you had is I the N64 or if, if, you, Nintendo, if you were a child before the internet yeah if you were a child before the internet you could say things like 
oh, you should do this because my uncle works at Nintendo, which I literally did at points. I know about a blue Pikachu. Yeah. Oh, no, I, well, my dad, my, my uncle oh. went to Japan and yeah. saw it. Yeah, you could tell, and you could make up these things, and people would believe you because, as it turns out, people had dial-up, or at best. So it was really easy to, to just say things. And then, like, as a kid, you were, like, looking for, like, here is this way to justify, here's the way that I'm cooler than you. Yeah. And it was always, eventually, the squabbling would come down to, well, I have my uncle works for Nintendo, you see. Yes. And the game is very much about, like, okay, what if that idea, but, like, a eldritch monster that wants to kill you or exactly that soul. wants to kill that wants to kill you and and per and perpetuate video games and gamers yeah, yeah. um and something we talked about before we actually went went to, re- to like to record is yeah. the game starts horror themed and really stops being a horror game once you reach its final ending yeah uh it is not really so i remember reading i think it was emily short wrote about the game and said that she was a little bit disappointed in the not not in the content, right? But in it stopping to be a horror game, where you would imagine that perhaps uh, a central conceit of the game is that the uncle essentially lives inside of a Game Boy. Yeah, um, it is. He is a creature that resides in this Game Boy, and an idea that like one of the endings involves like the the child taking this Game Boy to their home to be the new host, essentially unwittingly. Yeah, and 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 she was saying like an end like you know you would think that the ending would be something along the Game Boy like turning back on in a traditional horror movie way. But no, it, it is destroyed with the idea that you can destroy this monster. And I think Lutz was hopeful for that to be true at the time. Yeah. And unfortunately, it doesn't seem to have been the case, which really does kind of change the read I had on the ending now as opposed to the read I had in 2014 when I first played it. Yeah, it's important that I think, like, you bring it up because I totally forgot that it had, like, I knew that it, it ended with, like, everyone's, if you got through, because there's, like, I think, like, four There's to five, five. five endings and a sixth secret ending that comes with author notes. Right. So if you go, if I were, I remember that it ended, like, in a slightly pleasant note, but it that is un, perhaps unduly optimistic given the world we're in now. Yeah. Um, the, um... I don't think you can hold that against it, though. No, uh, I don't know. Um, because this, the, the game works, it, it makes, it, in, in hindsight, it makes me feel differently about the game. Yeah. And I don't know if it feels, because I remember in the moment, it was like both, oh, this is like a really interesting, like it felt scary, because this was like a, a manifestation of what we were seeing going on on the internet. Mm-hmm. And then, like, having this, the this I don't know, say a blanket, but, like, you know, a reassuring note at the end felt yeah. good. And now, I don't know if that, that reassuring note, like, plays, doesn't play well. No, it, it doesn't. And it, it's tough. I, I also think another thing I kind of hold against it, I don't like it nearly as much as I like um, My Father is Very Long on uh, Legs. Yes. Um, because I find that it is a lot more. It is Which less, is, by the way, is Michael Lutz's other big, uh, other big, yeah, other big twine game. Also about a child going over to uh, to a house. Yes, um, he has a common theme with that. Yeah, but which is talked about in his author notes. Please do read his author notes. They're really good. I was reading them this morning. Um, but the thing that is interesting about um, the reason I don't like it as much, rather, sorry, the reason I don't like it as much is because I find that the game gets uh, the game being the Uncle Works Nintendo. Is a little bit more puzzly, a little yeah. bit more visual novelly, perhaps yeah. than um, than Long Legs, given that it's more about finding these secret endings. Yeah, and it gives you hints towards them. And there's a little bit of like puzzle solving with the way that the uncle talks to you in code. I I just find that like it it's a lot more mechanical, right, yeah. than a than a traditional IF game. And there's something really cool about that. But I also find that it's very gamey in a way that I don't necessarily want from this story that is meant to be allegorical, particularly one about the dangers of video games. Yeah, well, and dangers of the culture around video games. The um, 
I also think that takes away to a certain extent of the horror element. Like I, I know how we talked about like it's not, it's ultimately not truly a horror game, but the, the first half does have like very strong horror elements that it yes. kind of conveys through glitch art mm-hmm. and like through like really interesting uses of sound and visuals. Um, and by making it solvable and kind of a very not, I want to say. It took me quite a few tries, so it was. It's not like it's totally straightforward, but by making it solvable in a puzzle way, it almost makes it feel. Um, it diminishes that horror aspect of it, yeah. Because it's like, oh, you well, spend I a can... lot of time on a screen, right? Yeah. Like, and and again, there is like a win condition, as it yeah. were. It doesn't. It, there's it doesn't there is tension as to who wins, which is necessary for horror. But there is this sense that you can win. Yeah. It never feels unwinnable, as it were, and the fact that it feels that it can be won at all sort of defeats the purpose a little bit. Yeah, and again makes it the difficult read. Um, I, yeah. So I, I'm just just a couple quick notes before we rank it. It also has a great, I think, a great telling of. Um, in terms of kids going to friends' houses, I like the way that it plays with um, class differences in, yes. in those moments. And I think um, my father's very long legs does something similar. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an all like, you should play it regardless of where we rank. You should this, definitely play it. It's, it's like twenty minutes long so, to get all the endings. It's a spectacular experience, and it's free. <laughs> it's free, which yeah. is great. You should play free games. Yeah, um, it's really really good. And I think another thing it does that I something that's really interesting that Lutz talked about in a, in a note on Tumblr once I think is that he was sort of. He never made it necessary to have the um, the the best friend be an, of opposite gender to you. Right. And the game has a lot of commentary about how women who play video games, how girls who play video games are treated. And that stuff can just be entirely missed. Yeah. yeah. Right? Which I think is sort of not to the detriment of the game, but certainly is something that, like, the game definitely gets better when one of the two characters is a girl. And it is extremely easy for that not to happen for you. Yes. Yeah. I know that the first time I played through it, it did, it did not It happen. did not, right? I played it with two boys because yep. that's just how my experience was. And, and that was my childhood. Yeah. And, and I think that it's it miss, you miss a little bit of the message when that's the case. Yeah. Um, I think comfortably I would say putting it at number three. Yeah. I oh. would also say that. I say like like good game, um, but probably worse than World of Warcraft. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So the uh, and not to say that it's bad right it's yeah. better than shadow of the hedgehog that this <laughs> I, we're going to have a top heavy list for a while yeah. unless people want to give us some as the parlance is <laughs> bottom shooters yeah <laughs> but um definitely this is not magnitudes be- like uh, like it is magnitudes away from shadow of the hedgehog and yeah. not magnitudes away from a world of warcraft yeah it's a very good game but perhaps not quite as ambitious as a wow yeah moving on to our next game on the list we are talking about 2011's Bastion by Supergiant, sent to us by Lyle Scott. So, um, Bastion is kind of uh, an amazing game in, in a lot of different ways. Um, it's by no means a perfect thing, but it is. Um, it comes out of this moment in in before we get to like what the game actually is. It comes out of this moment where like this is like the rising tide of the, of indie, indie games. games. Yeah, this is when we have not hit. We have, we're just about to hit the crunch of like there are way too many games out right now, but. We're just past, like, Castle Crashers, Braid, all of these, like, early games that kind of set, like, oh, we're, I guess we're going to do puzzle platformers. Bayonetta, Bayonetta, um, Bastion adds a, um, is, like, a, a level of quality, like, it shines so well, even now, I mean, like, it's not that far away, but it shines so well um, for that era. Like, mm-hmm. this is something that was different, this was something that had, like, a great visual and audio style, um, 
and and so it's something that's like kind of an interesting artifact to go back to in that way. Yeah. Um, so what, what in terms of an actual yes. game, what is Bastion? Bastion is a game about a boy named the Kid who wakes up to find that his entire world has been destroyed, and he makes his way to the Bastion, sort of a place where he can rebuild the world. Uh, and does so. It is an isometric action game where you kind of defeat enemies, uh, build up weapons and items and tools to do so, and go back to the Bastion to try to rebuild the world. And along the way, interact with the people who would have you rebuild the world in their image. Yeah, and like, the ultimately the gameplay of this game is just great. Like, I think it's It's like... It's extremely simple, but it's extremely satisfying. Yeah. Like, you can go through... The game gives you a ton of different weapons. Um, You can kind of go through with whichever ones you want. If you you start with a hammer, you can kind of just go through the whole game with a hammer. Like, it's... it's, It works. It's fun. And and all the weapons feel fun in different, interesting ways, right? Like, you pick up so many cool tools, the potions that you can brew. Yeah. The little perks you can give yourself are so neat. Like, all the... Everything kind of works together to make this combat, which really shouldn't be anything. It's an isometric beat-em-up. This combat shouldn't be much. But something about it, the little pistol it gives you, everything feels perfect, right? Just this incredible game feel of how you interact with the world. It's so great. And again, works towards these themes about this game, about people who would have you rebuild the world in their image when you were sort of a destroyer figure. Yeah. It's, it's It's a game where essentially in order to create something new, you have to wreck everything in your path, which is... An interesting idea. I think the story is one of the weakest parts of it. It yeah. just it doesn't. The more you think about it, the less it kind of. I don't really know where it, what it what it wants. That being said, the way it conveys its story is really good. It's through both visual storytelling, the way that you have characters, the way that it does music. There's like some amazing like they have an original song. I mean, all the song the music is original, but they have a a, a, a one song that is actually sang. They got like a band to play it. And it is uh, an amazing piece of video game music. Like, I think I will, that's a piece of video game music I will all go back to. And, and I mean, I think the thing that we've, we haven't mentioned somehow is, is the thing I think most people take away from it is yeah. the narrator. Yes. There is a narrator who narrates everything you do throughout the game. And it, it not only tells the story, but sets this tone and mood for every scene yeah. that works so well. Like, the, yeah. again, the story is probably not the strongest part of this game, but the narrator would make you believe that it is. Yeah. It's... And... The story on, like, the grand scale of, like, what is the plot that is happening here is is where it's weak. The actual, like, storytelling is really strong in that way. So, like, because it has, like... the, the way the narrator works is that it kind of... It's both reacting to you and telling a story around you. And so, depending on how you, you interact with the world, the way the, the narrator tells the story is a little different. And the idea is that supposedly... This game all takes place in hindsight, and thus you are being told yeah. a story. And it's so interesting to both, like, just one, the performance is great. And Absolutely. Also, it's um, it's the way that it then adapts to your to your gameplay style, whether it's it comments on your weapons, whether it comments the, the frequency of your kills, whether it comments on um, the way that you're navigating the environment. It always feels natural, despite the the, the very clear, like, I don't know. It's like if you look at behind the scenes, it's probably like very clear. Like, oh, okay, if he does this, then go to Y. And yeah. Then, yeah. But I don't know. It was. It works out when in the middle of the flow. One of my favorite things about this game is sort of the 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 world that it sets. Again, the plot's not everything, but the 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 little pieces you get of the pre ruined world, the pre calamity world, as yeah. it's called, are so cool. And one of my favorite things about the game is the material you pick up to equip to like upgrade your weapons. Yeah. 
that don't have names. Yeah. You have stuff called something coarse, something nasty, something yeah. foul, something wrong. Like these things that really evo- – it's so evocative, right, yeah. of like what is this thing? And it has a little description, right? Something wrong. It writhes to the touch. And it's yeah. like, well, what could that be and why does it upgrade my bazooka? I, that's fascinating to me. And it never tells you, and I think that's probably one of the strengths of the game, that Bastion really never tells you what the world was like, only what it could be. Yeah. And and that's something that's really, like, really, again, evocative and really gets your imagination running. And there's, um, the fact that this game is, like, um, it has, just to kind of get, like, its visual style will hold up forever. Like, it is, um, it is... Bastion will be a a kind of timeless experience, but I don't even think like I think it's going. It might be one day harder to go back to say, um, uh, oh god, what's the name? Transistor. Than mm-hmm. it will be to go because Transistor requires like some knowledge of how how like strategy games and other yeah. games work. Bastion is like this kind of like perfect encapsulation. Bastion is very simple. Yeah. Right. It's very in in a, in a Super Metroid way. Its design is clean. Yeah. Everything feeds into that core gameplay loop. And there's nothing extraneous. Yeah, and and so I I, I think I'm ready to rank it. Yeah, um, where would, where do you think it should go? I think it should go above Wow. Like yeah, I, yeah. I'm personally because I think Wow has a Wow. There's a lot of aspects of it that are don't hold up for me. Mm-hmm. Um, one is that I'm a different person than I was when I was a teenager. I had tons of time to play um, an online game that requires right. basically every evening for you to check in. Um, but also Bastion is just. I could return to Bastion in 20 years from now and say and still say this is great. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I could return to WoW in 20 years and be like, these graphics don't hold up. These this env- this environment doesn't work the way I, I want. I think certainly that WoW is a more important game than Bastion, but I don't think its design is as tight. And I think that's just the nature of MMOs. The design yeah. can't be as tight. There has to be more going on. And I think that's probably going to be WoW's issue if it like I don't I don't know, like, when we get more games, what the top ten is going to look like or whatever. Yeah. But I think that is going to be a thing that we keep coming back to when we compare games to WoW is, like, this is, WoW is probably going to be the top, uh, highest-ranked MMO on this list yeah. forever. But I don't know that it's, like, MMO design can compare to the design of a more tightly WoW and single-player experience. It's just, it's, the, and part of that is that, like, the community aspect was something I observed and not something I necessarily participated in. Mm-hmm. And I imagine someone who was like really into that part of WoW may may rank it higher because may rank it number one. But yeah. that wasn't us. That and wasn't us. it's going in at number two between yeah. Super Metroid and World of Warcraft. Very good game. Play Bastion. Yes. It's also pretty short. Like what? Like six hours? It's 10 not hours even. On? It's like I played in like five. Yeah, like yeah. You, you can really push through it. Coming in next, <laughs> a game sent to us by a friend of the show, John Orr. Also been. Uh, he's multiple been, times, yeah. multiple guest appearances. We have Venom slash Spider-Man Separation Anxiety by Software Creations in 1995. Armand, tell me about Separation Anxiety. <laughs> so Separation Anxiety is, um, it is based on uh, the comic, uh, which is... It's about a bunch of symbiotes. It's based on the comic Venom Lethal Protector, which you may also know as the basis for 2018's Venom movie starring <laughs> Tom Hardy. Yeah, I mean, the premise is basically a bunch of symbiotes which can take over human bodies. They're aliens that can take over human bodies. Um, they they are on the loose, and you have to stop them. Um, you're Spider-Man or you're Venom, and you mm. got to move to the right and sometimes the left in order to punch your way to victory. It's a brawler. Like, it's... um. Uh, you know what? One of the one of the four buttons it punches, and sometimes you punch fast, and sometimes you punch slow. Um, you can play as Spider Man or Venom. Um, 
Is there a mechanical difference between Spider-Man and Venom? Venom's a little stronger. Spider-Man's a little faster. Like, the the, the usual split. Um, The game is pretty much designed to be played cooperatively because um, the the, the enemy damage is high enough that it probably is meant to be distributed among two people. Two people. Um, If you are playing alone, I highly recommend going into the secret rooms um, that just seem to exist just to dump extra lives on you. Um, It is... Bad? I mean, like it's like, I it's not. Perf- you can't, can't make up like, up your mind. Is it bad? Or, I mean, it's bad. It's bad, but it's like it's one of those things where it's like I look at it. It's like this is neat. Like this is boring. Like there's yeah. no. The environments are, the sprites are well done, but the environments are repetitive. There's, there's like four sprites, like that are just recolored over and over again. Um, the the fact is like they had one street, and you think like a street is the easiest thing because you can just go in and reskin it a bunch. They literally just put the same building over and over again next to each other. Yeah. The level design here is not good. Then when they have to add, they start to add in um, movement mechanics, and they make that like that more tricky. You have to start jumping, doing like actual platforming. You're jumping over things or dodging things. The game is just not set up um, so that you can have that level of precision that right. is that is required. So. Again, like it's when you're playing co-op, it's not as huge deal because you can kind of bounce things back and forth. But um, as playing playing myself on this Super Nintendo game um, was not fantastic. I, I imagine if you're 12 and you just want to, you really just want to punch um, one white guy, one black guy, and one woman all in different shirts. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the game for you. Uh, is it better or worse than Spider-Man for the PlayStation 4? I know that's not on the ranking, but I need to know. If it's <laughs> it better. is way worse. It is yeah. way worse than Spider-Man 2 for the PS2. I, w- I will note that like EGM gave it a 4.7 out of 10 <laughs> in the 90s, and the review called uh, agreed it, quote, isn't much fun, um, <laughs> which I feel like is sort of important for a video game, particularly yeah. of that era. Uh, the first level has a has a banger uh, of a song. The second level does not. Uh, <laughs> that is, um, I believe you said if I it, as, as I had it on before we started recording, and I believe you said if that keeps playing, I I will go insane. Yeah. So, I with that in mind, um, I don't is, think we need to deliberate on the ranking here. No, I I think it's be- like it's, it's not better a, than Shadow the Hedgehog. It is not a total failure. Like, no, it's not like, like the thing it, is, it does what it sets out. It accomplishes what it set out to accomplish. Yeah. it's a bad game. Yeah, but like it it is fine. It is a it is a perfectly serviceable brawler if a bad one. Yeah, from 1995. If you wanted to cash in based on a title, um, you could get a uh, Spider Man Venom Spider Man Separation Anxiety uh, for the Super Nintendo. Um, it is going right above Shadow of a Hedgehog and Coming below at number five on the list. Um, I do want to say that this list is currently very misleading because somehow it makes it seem like our best game is Super Metroid and our like fourth our fifth favorite game is Venom Spider-Man Separation Anxiety Listen, which <laughs> one day the list will bloom to massive massive lengths and it'll be a lot more accurate <laughs> um, but for now definitely my fifth my sixth favorite game is Shadow the Hedgehog <laughs> I'll tell you what I don't know which of my favorite games it is though 2009's Bayonetta by Platinum Games oh you're good uh. Bayonetta is such a great little um, uh, cinematic action game, like yeah. just crazy nonsense happening on screen. Um, you have you have far more experience with Bayonetta than I do, I, and I think you can make a better pitch for it. Tell me about Bayonetta two thousand nine. Like, let's just say we're doing this the Wii U version. You could get for the Switch version. There's yeah. a lot of versions of this. You can play it on Steam. 
Bayonetta from 2009 is, as everyone said, a character action game, which is to say it's a 3D brawler or the perfect evolution of Venom Spider-Man Separation Anxiety. <laughs> um, it is a game about a witch named Bayonetta who fights angels with uh, guns with guns that she holds in her hand and are also attached to her high heels. Weapon, uh, weapons and, and combat attacks created by the hair that she magically transforms into things on her body. Uh, and giant demons she summons through a hellgate in her hair. Yeah. Um, it is smooth and perfect and like it, it 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 was that evolution of Devil May Cry that we all wanted. Yeah. Because there wasn't Devil May Cry a good Devil May Cry game for a while. Well just just quickly, like what is the relationship between Bayonetta and Devil May Cry in terms of actual like is yeah, there is there like what what is the thread there? It's Hideki Kamiya who's the designer of Devil May Cry who left Capcom to join Platinum and ended up making Bayonetta as one of his first platinum one of the earlier Platinum games, not one of the first, but right. um and Platinum Games is you know, they, they've sort of built a legacy on these incredibly tight character action games. And Bayonetta is is the first of those. Bayonetta is this game that when you play it, you just don't know how they could make the mechanics any more pure. Yeah. It is so good at challenging you. And then the reward for the challenge are these unbelievably over-the-top, insane cutscenes of Bayonetta doing crazy things. Her climax finish attacks involve her hair turning into a big monster that eats things or turning into an Iron Maiden that you shove people inside or turning into a guillotine that chops people's heads off. Like, these insane, over-the-top rewards for your skill at the game are so satisfying and and really kind of complete this great gameplay loop. I, it's one of the few games where I play it and I consistently just have a big smile on my face. Whether it's because the cutscenes, which are totally just... Oh, there's a lot of care put in for a lot of care put in for a story that is basically just absurdity. Like there's yeah. no real, but also the plot is the worst part of the game. The plot is the worst part of the game, but it's still like it has that same. I don't want to say polish, but the same level of like attention put into it. Yeah. Um, and the characters are to certain extents great. Rodin yeah. is super fun. Jean, who's like Bayonetta, Shadow the Hedgehog, is pretty all right. Yeah. Enzo is a weird. Danny DeVito type that they shoved in the game for some reason. Is a gremlin of a man with a terrible New York accent. Yep. Um, the, I also, it's uh, it has the best remix of uh, Fly Me to the Moon. Yes, it's an incredible cover of Fly Me to the Moon for some reason. Yeah, which is just the, the, the main uh, theme for the game. It has one of the best endings in video games. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said. Um, I don't think Bayonetta 2, Bayonetta 1 rather. Yeah can be ranked that highly because the problem with Bayonetta 1 is that Bayonetta 2 is literally better in every single way. <laughs> like miles. And it's yeah. hard now in 2018, really hard not to think about that when you're talking about Bayonetta because Bayonetta 1, it's not hard to go back to, but if you've played Bayonetta 2, you never want to go back to Bayonetta 1. Yeah. It is not even close. Yeah, so with with that in mind, like, um, we have, we, we started to build out this list. I'm I'm curious, like, is it is it more okay i also here's like one detriment but i think we should we should yeah. acknowledge um bayonetta is like it's not a realistic depiction of women um, no it's women who are mostly legs and neck um certainly um and but um it's like and she's naked all the time yeah she is naked all the time it is not if you uh i mean there's someone who could make an argument for the game being empowering for women, given that it's mostly like women seem to be the most competent heroic characters, but yep. also it's 100% objectifying. Like it's, no, for sure. It's, it's, it's Hideki Kamiya wanted a cool lady, but he could see naked a lot. Yeah. 
and and that's a problem with the game, and it never really goes away for Bayonetta. No. It's a problem that Devil May Cry never had to deal with, except for the fact that Trish is pretty sexualized. Yeah. But, like, the main protagonist is not, like, you know, it, it's just balanced that Devil May Cry rather never had to walk. It's a problem yeah. in, ev- in a lot of video games. But they never had to walk the tightrope of, well, this character can be empowering, but this character is also kind of, you know, really sexualized. Yeah. And it's strange that she made it into Smash Bros. given that. Yeah, yeah. But... <laughs> yeah, I... yeah. But when you remind me that she is currently punching Mario, um, there's uh, there's something to be said of uh, the height difference there. Yeah, it's it's really something special. I I don't think Bayonetta is as good as World of Warcraft. Bayonetta one, at least. Yeah, I, I mean, I think I would say though that it's probably. I think I, it's... I would readily. I'm, I'm curious though. Like, what would you go back to? You had like you have Bayonetta or Uncle, my uncle. That's the problem. Right? I would rather go back to Bayonetta two. You'd rather go back. to I Bayonetta? would rather go back to Bayonetta two. Okay. Then Bayonetta one any day of the week. And even if I say it's better than the Uncle Works in Nintendo, I it's still like not as good as Bayonetta two, which I'm like, sure will rank eventually. Yeah. But Bayonetta is not. It's just not as good a game. Yeah. Right? Like, and I think that forever mars it, just from a pure mechanical standpoint. There's things we can talk about all day, but those are things I would talk about Bayonetta 2 as well, where the plot is inane, the character is overly sexualized, and yeah. difficult to sort of, like, be on the same page with. It's uh, It has many of the same weaknesses, but Bayonetta 2, it, its strengths are much stronger. Yeah, so I, I honestly want to put it underneath the Uncle Works at Nintendo. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely not worse than Spider-Man's no, <laughs> no, no, separation. No, no. Well, I mean, we, again, we said it's a distinct, it's the direct <laughs> evolution yeah, yeah. of the brawler. So it has to be better. Yeah, so, okay, I, I would be okay with that. Um, I would ha- I think I would struggle with, Bayonetta 2 is so much wilder that, um, especially given that Star Fox level. Yep. Um, that I, I think Bayonetta 2 goes higher on the list, yeah. especially, especially if the list has more things on it. Yeah. But Bayonetta 1 is, um, I mean, again, it's good. It doesn't. If you want to play Bayonetta 1, it is the one that is on PC. It is the one that is accessible. But yeah. Bayonetta 2 is just, like, it's a trial for Bayonetta 1. It is a it is a dry run for the incredible things they do in Bayonetta 2. And Bayonetta 2, Bayonetta grabs a satellite between her thighs and flip kicks it into something. <laughs> Bayonetta 2 is great. It's, yeah. No, it's great. I, I love it. It's, uh, it is, however. Coming in at uh, the new... Number five. The new number five. Between the Uncle Works of Nintendo and Venom Spider-Man Separation Anxiety. Yeah, thank you for thank you for that, Ibrahim Faruqi. Um last on our list is a, a game I, I played. Um which I played as well. Yeah. It is um Kingdom Hearts Chain of Memories. Uh it's two thousand fours, and we're gonna be ranking the Game Boy Advance game. Um developed by by, uh, Ju- by Jupiter, Jupiter, which yeah. make great games. Yeah. Uh they yeah. make uh Picross. They do. Um, and unfortunately, they made this one. Um, hey, this game's great. I, I, we're, this is going to be our first disagreement. Yeah. I think this game is fantastic. I think this game is borderline unplayable. But that's also... Ah. I, I am also the person who thinks somehow the PS2 game is better. So, well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, we, this is... Uh, this is submitted by Vivian Ng. Uh, you'll be seeing more. Yeah, uh, Kingdom Hearts. Because, of, because of Vivian, there will be a lot more Kingdom Hearts talk on this podcast. Yeah, so... Okay. Kingdom Hearts Chain of Memories is a interquel between Kingdom Hearts 1 and 2. Mm-hmm. It stars the... It is a... Um, we're getting to the, I guess we'll get into the mechanics because they're kind of a whole different thing. It is basically what if um, Final Fantasy, you, your JRPG handsome boys, uh, were partnered with Donald and Goofy and all the Disney roster that you could ever hope for. And um, 
and it, you you play as a character called Sora. It's hanging out with Donald Goofy. You trying meet, to trying to save Mickey yeah. and the world and. There's like Kingdom Heartless. Hearts, Kingdom Hearts, the game itself, is sort of a platformer action game. Yeah. Kingdom Hearts Chain of Memory is an RPG with a card game mechanic. Yeah. Um, it, it That card game mechanic is, I think, um, not very fun. And I think <laughs> it's super clever. <laughs> okay. So let's let's have at it. What do you not like about Kingdom Hearts Chain of Memories? One, okay, so I found, I found one, the... The idea navigating. I do not like that in, in Kingdom Hearts, the original, mm-hmm. you have to navigate a menu to attack. Yeah. That seems crazy. It's that terrible. seems like a guy who was used to making turn based games had to make an action game, and the menu was the thing he was used to. Sure. I think it becomes more cumbersome. In uh, I think that becomes it becomes more cumbersome when you're dealing with an, uh, dealing with a deck of cards where you don't always know what you're you're coming up with next, um, and you're not always it's there's an uncertainty to when you have a deck of cards at the very least of the menu I kind of know what I'm picking I can see everything on screen mm-hmm. I was all I constantly found myself flailing and just being um, uncertain of whether I was making the right choice with Kingdom Hearts Chain of Memories yeah. Um, it is I also think that is mostly the levels are largely a retread of the original Kingdom Hearts game yep. which is by design they didn't get as it turns out they didn't get a ton more licenses um, for the Kingdom Hearts series um, after that first one while they were building Kingdom Hearts 2 this was meant to be just like hey do you want more Kingdom Hearts content we got Jupiter made you this video game um, I also, and this is something you're not going to defend, but I do think that uh, it's worth noting. The plot is bad. Oh, like, the plot's <laughs> terrible. The plot's street garbage. It's it's one of the wor- it's like one of the worst Kingdom Hearts plots in like, a series which is known for bad plots. <laughs> yeah, it is the most Byzantine, and also, um, it is the most pointless of all the ones. It only really comes back to being important because of Kingdom Hearts. Um, hold on, it only. Can hear? Yep. It only comes back to being important because of like the D, the 3DS game, which um, oh, it's anyway. Kingdom Hearts. It's a whole thing. Um, so here's my counterpoint. Okay. I think mechanically, Kingdom Hearts: Chain of Memories is the first game and the only game in the Kingdom Hearts series to ever look at that awful, stupid menu-based action battle system. Yeah. And say, well, what if this was the point? Right. right. What if instead of going all the way to just an action game, we include a little bit of this RPG mechanic? And it's not random, right? Because you have a, a hand of cards that you can shuffle back into the deck. You are making the deck, and you are, like, guaranteed to draw all your cards. Something that people point to a lot in card games, that if you could tell a Magic the Gathering player they could draw all their cards they, in, in one game, they would pay money for that. Because right. Because that is, that is consistency, right? You are going to draw all your cards in your deck several times. There's no punishment for overdrawing. All the cards go back in your deck anyway. Right. So you know what you're going to get. You know what's in your deck no matter what. There's very little RNG in what you're picking up. Right. Uh, you know, you have to go through your deck at some point, but you know what you're going to get, and you know you can shuffle things back in. 
And perhaps most importantly, it has this really cool system by which it asks you to stack combos, right? You need a one, then a two, then a three, then a four, then a five, then a six, then a seven, then an eight, then a nine. And you also have to watch your opponent's combos and look for a combo breaker with the zero cards. Right. And and zero cards are a lot more expensive to play and place in your deck, but they're also these really exciting like opportunities to outplay your opponent in a meaningful way, as they are as as like an RPG mechanic is. Right. They are it is this really cool way of saying like well what if the entire battle system was this menu and instead of being picking items from a menu you have this constantly changing hand of menu options right and your management of those options is your skill at the game and i think that is what's really cool because it still has the action thing of running around it's just listen your auto attack now is a limited resource not fully limited but a semi-limited resource that you have to you have to think about how you use and i think that is really fun and really clever and really ambitious another thing that's really ambitious about the game yeah the levels are a retread and yeah the level design sucks but the idea of the synthesis system where you're able to collect map cards and choose if you want you know more um physical more magic more item levels like what is it it's uh you oh and also like you can you can create um like slights and flushes with the cards that create different effects in battle. It reminds me a lot of Mega Man Battle Network, which I also think is a great battle system. Yeah, I mean, I will agree. I think Mega Man Battle Network does it better. I think it does. I definitely think it does it better. But then you also end up with stuff like the um, the map system where you can make a... Uh, there's red map cards, which will make the enemy stronger. Green map cards, which can, like, alter your deck. Blue map cards, which can, like, change the room itself to allow save points and treasure. And, like, you have this control over the world... That is also really interesting. I think the game is extremely ambitious. I don't think it really right. nails all of its ideas, but I think it is so ambitious and so it wants to do so much more with Kingdom Hearts mechanically that the series never came back around to. It is the most mechanically ambitious Kingdom Hearts game, but I think by a mile. Uh, I, I don't know about that. I think like to me, everything like a lot of the Game Boy Advance, um, a lot of that game feels like a compromise, and I mean that I think that also becomes more evident when they remade it for the PS uh, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, it's how do we get these mechanics to fit on this system? And I'll agree with you. It's like it's an ingenious way of like this is how we're gonna do it. I just feel like the execution is. It was never in a way that made me feel comfortable with my decisions. It was never. It, it felt sloppy. It always felt like. Oh, like the idea of changing the world, neat idea. Don't think it was done super well. Mm-hmm. I also don't think that the the flushes were cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I just never thought they were. I never found personally found them all that comprehensible of like how you could of how you could string these together, and that might have been just like the way I was approaching the game at the mm-hmm. time. But I mean, it's just it's just playing three cards in order, right? Like yep. you just have to play three cards. It's just like Mega Man Battle Network's program advances, which I also think are really cool. Like the idea of certain combo sets leading to these really powerful things if you know about them, and so you have to right. really explore the battle system. The game doesn't really teach you about them in a great way. Yeah. Um, but I do think that like, hey, listen, you're gonna learn how to play certain cards in order, and you're gonna build your deck around drawing these cards together right and i think that again it's ambitious in a way that's really really notable i don't know of another kingdom hearts battle system that really asks you to do much other than kind of wail on the attack button and then slowly select fire magic i I think but also like kingdom hearts is not super mechanically interesting i think that's 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 just on the whole but one of the selling points for kingdom hearts has always been um the way it does spectacle, and that spectacle might be absurd, it might make no sense, but Chain of Memories doesn't have that. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have that feeling of like, 
it feels almost incidental that it exists in these worlds. Like, the fact that you can change it is neat, but it doesn't really do anything in its environments. And at the very least, I can say that Kingdom Hearts... Kingdom Hearts 1 is maybe a more difficult question, but Kingdom Hearts 2, at least, like, it has an interesting visual flair. It tries to, like bring that to life in its in its monster design and the way it's you're approaching these worlds and approaching these stories. The way that um, King of Hearts Chain of Memories is structured, I think, doesn't doesn't allow for that. And I, I don't know if that's like because it's on the Game Boy Advance and you're just limited, but it, it really does it really did feel like I was I was missing that element of it. I definitely agree that obviously Kingdom Hearts 2 is going to look more impressive. It's a 3D game for the PlayStation 2 with yeah. a pretty high graphics budget. I, I will say that I, I think aside like backgrounds and world stuff aside, the character sprites in Chain of Memories are really gorgeous. Yeah. Really incredible sprite work, really great animations. It's just that like half the game takes place on flat white backgrounds and yes. Hollow Bastion and the other half takes place in like brownish backgrounds. <laughs> like here's the Aladdin world. Here's the Peter Pan world. You're on a boat. Like it's just not particularly visually exciting. Yeah. So the the funny thing is, is despite all this conversation, there's only really one place for this to go because we're not going to rank it better than Bayonetta. Um, yeah, it's not better than Bayonetta. I like it a lot, but it is not better than Bayonetta. <laughs> and separation, like at the very least, Kingdom Hearts. I will not say I don't think it's a great game, but I don't think it's boring. Um, or it's still like an. It, it's an appreciable form of nonsense. Um, so I think Kingdom Hearts Chain of Memories is just agreeably, for now, I think we'll have to revisit this conversation. Yeah. Um, is Well, when, when somebody, when we, uh, you're going <laughs> to rank RE Chain of Memories. <laughs> you're right. And uh, when we do that, we'll revisit this conversation because right. that game sucks. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I may have to actually replay that game. Well, we'll replay it together. We'll figure it out. Yeah. Oh, goodness. But yeah, coming in at the new number six. Kingdom Hearts Chain of Memories in between Bayonetta and Separation Anxiety. Oh, God. What a huge fall. Like, just like a huge leap from Bayonetta all the way down to Kingdom Hearts Chain of Memories. And yeah, then all that, the way down there's to- a, this is a top-heavy list at the moment. Um, <laughs> the, the divide between the top and the bottom, I think, I is I feel like notable. what you're going to find, right, is that, like, I think Chain of Memories and Separation... Chain of Memories is going to fall in a category of ambitious games. Like, there's going to be a whole section around it of ambitious games that never really quite get where they're going. Yeah. And down to Separation of Anxiety, which is just boring games that are dumb, yeah. down to Shadow of the Hedgehog, which is garbage games for garbage people yeah. made by garbage. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, okay. This is our first iteration. You can, if you want to submit any ideas, just um, send them to... Uh, BillPlaysShow at gmail.com. Exactly. You can, you can send us your ideas. Send us a list of uh, five to seven games. Yep. We'll put them in our master list. We're going to do every... Before we get to... You know, listeners submitted a list. We're going to do everybody we got through the donation drive. And we got plenty more of those. Don't (laughs) you worry. Um, We're going to be back with plenty of more video games and a lot of Kingdom Hearts. (laughs) A lot of Kingdom Hearts. A lot of Kingdom Hearts. (laughs) From CGRU, you've been listening to Built to Play. And you've been particularly listening to the video video game game Battle Royale. Royale. Jeez. I'm Armin Igbali. And I'm Daniel Rosen. You can follow us on Twitter at built to play or visit our website, builttoplay.ca. Or you can find us on Facebook where we post things sometimes. But hey, if you really do like the show, be sure to leave a, a note or a review on Apple Podcasts. Um, tell a friend or do literally anything that informs another person that this podcast exists. It yes. would really help us out. Send a raven, send a carrier <laughs> pigeon carrying a note telling them to download our podcast, bit.ly slash something. Um, and if you and if you did like today's show, yeah. you don't have to send us a carrier pigeon. You can send us an email or your own list of games you want us to rank yeah. at builtplayshow at gmail.com. It would be great to hear from you, but don't send us any Kingdom Hearts games because we literally have all of them already. <laughs> 
That was a lot of money. Um, you can follow me personally on Twitter at F-L-A-R-K-C-O-N. Um, and where can I find you, Dan? I am at Daniel underscore Rosen. And remember, the card, ba- card-based battle systems are deeply underrated. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs>